As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible and open it up, turn it on, unroll the scroll, however it is that you brought your Bible today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. We continue walking through the life of Jesus as it is told to us in the book of Luke. Now, let me ask you this question. What do the biblical words worship, faith, repentance, surrender, sanctification, victory. What do these biblical words all have in common? Well, they have several things in common, but what I'm really zeroing in on today is that each of those words require that you and I submit to the authority of God in our lives. Now, authority is one of those words that whenever we hear it, we tend to push away from it. We uh, bristle up a little bit, but authority is inherent within the word God. If God doesn't have authority over his creation, then he's not really God. And ultimately, we all have something that is the ultimate source of authority in our lives. And whatever it is that is your ultimate source of authority, that becomes your object of worship. So for an atheist, they believe that there is no God. And so Ultimately, there is no divine authority, and so they have to find something else that becomes their authority. Often it is themselves. Same thing with an agnostic that would believe that if there is a God, he cannot be known, so there's no real divine authority, so you have to find something that is authority for you. Now, there's also the deist. The deist believes that there is a creator who designed creation. It is intelligently designed, but then uh, creation, though it was established with, with morality, The creator then said, well, good luck with that. I'm out of here. And so the creation has a moral authority, but there is no divine sovereign authority. Now, those of us who are Christians, we believe that there is a God who created all things and that our God has sovereign authority over all things. Now, the Christian also believes that this God who has divine sovereign authority authority that in his love God desires for you to be free. In Jesus' day, authority issues were a big deal. Now, most of us have studied the Roman Empire in school, and so you remember a little bit about the Roman Empire. They were not very nice people. In fact, what they would do is they would march their army into your territory, and they would physically conquer you. And at that point, you and your entire nation were under some form of slavery. Most of the known world during the Roman Empire uh, were under some form of slavery. Uh, If you were subject to Rome, uh, you might have some element of freedom in your life. But boy, if you got out of step, you would find out in a hurry just how much you were subject to Rome. And then there was the slave class, which was made up of as much as 50% of the population of Europe at that time were part of the slave class. Within the spiritual realm there in Palestine where Jesus lived as well, the priestly class was frequently abusing their authority in order to try to control people with religion. Because of this, there were constant uprisings where the people would begin rebelling against authority, then the authorities would display their power and there would be these horrific events. 
where masses of people would be killed as the authority figures displayed their power. The story begins in verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. The Bible says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had, what's the word? Let's try it again. Because his message had authority. Now, the Bible teaches that all of us do wrong. We all sin. We all fall short of God and His glorious standards. None of us are perfect as our God is. And so, therefore, there is a common denominator which runs across every single person in this room. We all have need of forgiveness. It is the common denominator of humankind. There is junk in our past. There is sin in our present. There will be sin in our future. We all have need of forgiveness. So, enter Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene, and He teaches people this radical message. He teaches them that by believing in Him, believing in Jesus, they can have forgiveness for their past, they can have purpose in their present, and they can have hope for their future. And Jesus taught with the authority of God. Jesus, in fact, taught that He holds the authority. Now, if you look at world religions in Islam, uh, you have the prophet Muhammad who taught people that you are to follow the teachings of the Quran. And if you follow the teachings of the Quran and your behavior matches up with the teachings there, then perhaps you will find the approval of Allah. In Buddhism, you find the four noble truths. And if you follow the path, the way, then you are able to move beyond desire and you will find your ultimate nirvana. Same thing in Hinduism. If you follow the teachings of Hinduism, you will find truth. If you sow good karma through a series of lifetimes and you can exit the material world and you can exist forever in the spiritual world and be part of the divine universe. And all of these major world religions, there is this idea that if you do this, this, and this, if you behave this way, then you may find the ultimate. In secularism, it teaches that if you follow yourself, if you can break free from uh, expectations, from rules of others, then you can be free, and you are free whenever you are true to yourself. Jesus comes onto the scene and says, follow me. I am the authority. Trust in me, because Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is very narrow. It's also very specific. Jesus said, I'm it. I'm the authority. I am the way to God. You can't get to God except through me. This was new teaching. Jesus is the authority over life and death. And he has the power to set you free from death. He has the truth to set you free to live. So inherent within the teaching of Jesus is this basic concept of surrender. In fact, the the first step of faith in being a Christian, the, the step that begins your journey with Christ is a step of surrender. You acknowledge, I I'm a sinner, I've done wrong, I am doing wrong, I will do wrong. But you trust in Jesus as your Savior, that He is the one who died 
for your sins and that he overcame the decay of life that we call death. Jesus spoke with authority because he taught us to place our faith in him. It's not about how good can you be, it's about how good he is and trusting in his divine goodness and authority. And my salvation is secured by Jesus and he demonstrated his authority whenever he was uh, grotesquely crucified and killed, but then he overcame death by rising from the dead. If I'm standing at the buffet of religions trying to decide which way to go, I think I'll go with the guy that conquered death. I think that's a pretty good choice. Well, in verse 33, we're in the synagogue there in Capernaum. And the Bible says that in the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, the authority of Jesus will always collide with the reality of evil. So here's Jesus. He's in the synagogue. He had probably read the Scripture, and then he was sitting down to explain the Scripture. And in the middle of Jesus' sermon, this man cries out, and he has a problem. He has a very, very real problem. He is possessed by a demonic spirit. Now you say, Pastor Lash, is there such a thing as demon possession? Yes, there is such a thing. Jesus encountered it often. I will say to you, when it comes to the occult world, you need to be careful. Don't play with it. It is real. It's dangerous. But understand that as a believer in Christ, you are Holy Spirit possessed. That whenever you place your faith in Christ, you are baptized. The the Holy Spirit uh, baptizes you in Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Spirit of God, you have the power to overcome evil. Now notice what was going on with this man. First thing that strikes me is the demon-possessed man was sitting in church. Now some of you are a little self-righteous here and you think, well, Demon-possessed man in church, huh? Hmm. Isn't that special? Well, where else should he be? I mean, this is where he needed to be. He needed to be in church. He needed to be listening to Jesus because he was hurting. He, he had problems. This was exactly where he needed to be. He was a guy who was imprisoned. He was handcuffed. He was trapped in darkness. Evil had such a hold on his life that he was possessed by it. Now, I can't imagine some of the things that must have happened in this man's life. And if you really want to drill down deep, I can't imagine some of the things that must have happened to this man to get him to this point. See, I don't think you just wake up overnight and suddenly you are completely possessed by evil. Suddenly you have a a demonic spirit. I, I think this was a process and he had probably done some things that were very, very dark and he had probably had some things done to him that were absolutely, totally wrong. Anybody be able to relate to that? You ever had somebody do something to you that's just wrong? Perhaps the story of your childhood involves a lot of people doing some things to you that were wrong. Perhaps the story of your past involves a lot of things that you're very ashamed of. 
Well, his first reaction to Jesus when Jesus begins teaching is to say, go away. I don't want to hear it. I, I can't handle this. You just, you just go away. And his second reaction is to say to Jesus, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to destroy us? Now, understand this about evil. Evil always distorts. And in its fullest form, what evil will do is it will try to turn good into bad and bad into good. Evil distorts in such a way that that which is really good for you is understood to be bad, and that which is bad for you is understood to be good. Evil is darkest when it feels threatened, and that's when it fights with all of its might to keep you a slave to its dark authority. And so his initial reaction was, Jesus, go away. The demon was fighting for this man. He wanted him to stay captive to darkness. And yet at the same time, something's going on because he acknowledges Jesus is the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus brought an authority. He brought an energy. He brought a hope to the room that could not be denied. And what is ironic is the man understands this is the Holy One of God. And yet at the same time, he's so possessed by evil, he just wants him to go away. Now look at how Jesus uses his authority. If you look at verse 35, Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power. You see, Jesus' teaching had authority, and his actions backed up his teaching. Not only did he have authority in his words, but he had power over evil as well. So they say, what is this guy? Who, who is this guy? And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. I want you to see that evil held him hostage, but Jesus set him free. Can I get an amen on that, church? Evil held him hostage, but Jesus set him free. Now, Jesus goes to the demon, and he says, be quiet. Be quiet. And then he gives evil its eviction notice. Come on out. Now, Jesus wasn't passive. We sometimes get this picture of Jesus that he's kind of uh, 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 soft. Be quiet. Come on out. No, the Bible says he was stern. Be quiet. Come on out. He throws them down. I mean, Jesus was, was masculine. He was stern. He was firm in this situation. There's a lot of people that are trapped in the past by the lies of evil. If you look back at your background, you've done some things that are wrong. We all have. But a lot of people find themselves unable to live today, unable to look forward to tomorrow because they're so trapped in the past by what has happened. They're trapped by what people have said about them. And I hope that today it can be your day. I hope that today is a moment in your life where you begin to realize you have a life to live. Sure, there have been things that have happened to you in the past, but God has a life for you to live today, and God has desires for you in the days ahead, and it's time to start living. 
There's a simple spiritual exercise that I want to encourage you to begin to employ in your life. If you find yourself handcuffed by the past, you have to learn to tell those lies to be quiet and replace the lie with the authority of God's Word. Because evil will always try to distort reality in your thinking. And it's time to give the lie its eviction notice. For example, maybe you were told that you're unloved. Maybe someone told you that you're unlovable. Well, replace that lie with the truth of God's Word. In John 3.16, the Bible says, God so loved the world, and that includes you. And He loved you so much that He sent His only Son, who lived a life that you could never live, and He died for you so that all who believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you were told uh, your, your ugly past can never be forgiven. Well, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says to me, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you were told you're a loser, that you can never change. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Maybe you were told, there's no hope for you. Well, Jeremiah 29 11 says, For surely I have plans. I, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Maybe you were told you can't do anything right. All you do is mess everything up. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, I can do all things through who gives me strength. Maybe you were told you're stupid. You don't have anything to contribute. Well, James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. So when we come to God and say, Lord, I need wisdom, I need the ability to see this thing from your perspective, I'm struggling here, God doesn't look at you and say, well, what's wrong with you? Without giving fault, he gives it generously to us so that we can begin to see things through the mind of God. Maybe you were told you don't have any talent, you don't have any ability to contribute to God or to the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 says that God has a spiritual gift that every believer, God has blessed you with a spiritual gift just as he determines whether you are introvert, extrovert, whether you grew up in church or whether you grew up in the bars. Uh, however God designs you, whenever you become a believer, he blesses you with a spiritual gift that can be used for his glory. You have talent, ability, perspective, experience to contribute, and you are a valuable part of what is called the body of Christ. Maybe you were told you'll only give up in the end. Well, Psalm 54, 4 says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who will sustain me. Maybe you were told you're too scared. You're a coward. You're scared of everything. Psalm 23, 4 replaces that lie with truth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God is with me. Maybe you were told that God will abandon you like everybody else has. Matthew 28, 20 says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And before Jesus said that, he gathered his disciples together and he said, Listen, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, under that authority, go out, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like Ephraim was baptized today, hallelujah, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And as you do all that, you better realize this, I am with you always to the end of the earth. You say, Lash, I've been through some junk. I've been through some bad stuff. I am so sorry that you've been through that in your life. We can't erase the past, but I do know one thing. God can use your past today and tomorrow. God can take you what you take what you've been through and the strength and the perseverance and the love that developed within you when you went through that struggle and God can use all of your past to help other people who are stuck in the past today. God can use your past to bring glory to his name. You don't have to live in the prison of your past. The lies of evil are keeping you from being the person that God created you to be. Replace those lies with the truth and the authority of God's holy word. And it's time for us to quit blaming our past for who we are today and let God liberate you to use your past to become the person he has called you to be tomorrow. God has a life for you to live. You see, the Christian life is not just about gaining a lot of knowledge. The Christian life is lived out as we love God, love one another, and love others. Well, as you continue reading the story in Luke chapter 4, Jesus continues setting people free from evil. And the ministry of Jesus continues to expand. And in verse 42, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place And the crowds were searching for him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. Do you realize that the news of the gospel is good news? That the Christian message is not to be a beatdown? The Christian message is all about Freedom in Christ, the Christian message, is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's to be the most encouraging message that anyone could ever hear. If you check out the news these days, it's pretty depressing. Seems like every single day you read about a mass shooting. You read about couples getting divorced. You read about darkness But the message of Jesus is the most encouraging news known to man. Because of the good news of Jesus, there is forgiveness for your past. Because of the good news of Jesus, there is purpose for your present. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you take up space and take in air. God has a purpose for you. Because of the good news of Jesus, there is hope for your future. And I'm not talking about the kind of hope that's found in when your guy gets elected or your girl gets elected. I'm not talking about the kind of hope of just wishing for a better tomorrow. I'm talking about a hope that goes beyond the hundred-year window that we call life here on earth. A hope that lasts for all eternity. 
A hope that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The news of Jesus is good news. And this is the gift that Jesus brings into this world. And you receive this gift not by pushing against the authority of God. You receive this gift by surrender. You receive this gift by placing your faith in Christ and trusting in Him totally as your Savior and your Lord. Not about something that you earn, something that you... It's something you receive through grace. If you think about life, uh, it changes in moments. A lot of times we, we think that change is this real long process, and we'll say, you know, it took me, took me a decade to change, change this about myself. What people really mean is it took, took a decade for you to get to that moment where you realize that something really had to change. If you go back and you look at your life, there are these significant moments. They're usually preceded and followed with events, but then there's this, there's this collision point where you have a moment where something changes and either your life goes in a positive way at that point or your life goes in a negative way. But you have these series of moments that get you to where you are today. Why not make this a spiritual moment in your life? Why not make this that spiritual moment when you surrender to God's authority? Why not make this a spiritual moment where you take the darkness of the past and the lies of the past and you lay it at the cross and you start living in the freedom of the good news under the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? Why not make this your moment? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? Some of you may already be Christians and you've been a Christian for some time, yet you're still handcuffed by the past and you're still believing those lies about the past and you're not living today and you're not experiencing love and joy and peace and patience. You're not experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life because you are handcuffed. And this needs to be a moment in your life where you break free through the power of Christ. Others of you may be here, and there's never been that moment of surrender, that initial step of faith where you place your faith and you place yourself in Christ as Savior and Lord. And I just want to ask you, can this be your moment? Will you make this your moment? Will you say, Christ, I, I surrender to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if this is your moment, I want to pray for you this morning. And would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Lash, this is a moment in my life. I'm having a spiritual moment in my life. This is my moment. Just, just lift your hand right where you are. Come on, have the courage to do that. I see, see several hands. Yes. If right now is your moment where you are accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just encourage you to call out and say, Lord, I have sinned and I ask your forgiveness for my sin. I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I am trusting totally in Him. And I ask you to save me today. I ask you to make me a new creation through Christ. Father, we bow our heads before you because we acknowledge that you are God. 
And Lord, I know that in this room there are a lot of stories that have come through these doors and they hide behind our smiles. But Lord, I do know that there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt that sits here today. And there's a lot of us that really struggle to live today because we're trapped by the past. And Father, may we realize that that's not what you want for us. You want us to be set free to experience the joy that you have for us today. So Lord, I pray that we might replace the lies with the truth of your word. And that we might live our life in that truth. And that we might experience what it means to be possessed by the Spirit of God. To have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control flowing through our lives that allows us to love you, to love the one and others in our world, and to love others as well. Help us, Lord, to have the heart of the Samaritan who loved the individual that was not like him. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbor and to love you. May this be a moment in our lives where we start living, where things change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together as we worship.